Mental Games podcast. Today, my guest is Tom Spencer, a professional rugby league player. Um, want to get into a bit of the, the background and how he, where he was brought up and some of the, the mental adversity he's, he's had to deal with in life and how he got through it and what he hopes to, to pass on to people in the future. So thanks for coming on, Tom. How are we doing? Great. Cheers for having me. Yeah, just um, trying to make as, uh, as good a kind of incremental gains as I can <laughs> at this uh, kind of limited moment, really. Nice little, nice little plug there. Thank you. Um, what have you been up to during uh, lockdown? It's been probably eight weeks now. How are you keeping yourself in shape? And how, how's the, uh, what's it looking like in terms of the rugby getting back to, to playing? Well, like um, at the minute, we, we don't have any official word on, on, on when it's coming back. Um, obviously, I've seen that stuff like football and other non-contact sports are going to kind of slowly drip, drip, drip feed the way back in. Um, I think um, not only is it the contact element, but it's the, uh, the funding behind the testing for all players as well. Right. So there's a lot, lot of issues that they're really working through. And, uh, you know, play, playing behind closed doors is affordable for football, but you know, for rugby, we really re- rely on that money. So, um, hopefully, just when it's all safe and um, you know financially viable, it can start back up again. Yeah. How do you feel about that? Just as a, a side point, playing behind closed doors, if you had to, because obviously you feed off the crowd. The crowd are there to to support well, yeah. the clubs. How do you feel? I think I think it, it's not as good. It's not as enjoyable to do it, but um, you, you know, I mean. Nowadays, you know, you've got streaming services and stuff. So, I mean, I think it's more of a case of it's not ideal, but you've got to adapt to survive, haven't you? And uh, the, te- the team that adapt to the lack of atmosphere and, and who can make their own atmosphere and, and get themselves in the right mindset are the, are the ones that are going to, you know, come out on top, really. So, it's not ideal at all, but, you know, you can't, you can't dwell on it. When, you know, when the time comes and it's safe to do so, you've got to be ready to go with no excuses. Yeah, it's interesting because uh, there's been a, I don't know if you follow UFC and mixed martial arts, but some of the events they've had on the past few weeks have been behind closed doors. There's been no crowd there. There's uh, yeah. very restricted access in terms of the corner men and the commentators. And it's a completely different experience watching it without the crowd. So for the actual fighters inside the, the octagon or the ring, they've, they've got to, sometimes they can feed off the crowd, but they've got to have their own sort of mental mental strength there to, to, to build on that. Yeah, I did. I did watch a few of those fights. I'm a, I'm a big uh, UFC fan. Um, I mean, I think uh, it's just a, an interesting, different dynamic because I mean, you can hear the corners, and mm-hmm. you, you know, it gives you a bit more of an, an insight into what kind of strategy goes into it and that kind of thing. And yeah. then, uh, obviously, some people feed off emotion, don't they? So, I think you know, when you've got an emotional fighter, it, it's like the, the more kind of um, calm and, and thoughtful ones kind of you know they get their head around the situation and uh, yeah. and uh, done well but I mean yeah. that was um, good as well from, a, from Francis and Gan who's knocker I mean he's, he's an animal isn't he I know yeah I was going to say that um, in some of the heavyweight fights that have been on recently you, you can hear them getting fatigued so you can hear the breathing and the heavy breathing yeah. and that And but for the likes of Francis and Garner, he doesn't need that long anyway does a 30 seconds yep. and he's <laughs> he's not you out no. No, but I mean, uh, yeah, I mean, perhaps hopefully giving a few more people a bit of kind of admiration for the conditioning levels that are required. I mean, to, to like a, a layman, it could look like they're not doing much, but they're in quite a, you know, an exhausting position because I think it's good that the UFC 
is getting as big as it is. But there's a lot of people, as soon as it's going to ground, they're booing and all that kind of stuff. And I think to be a true kind of aficionado or something, you've got to appreciate all, all aspects of it. So Definitely. I know you said uh, before we started recording, you did a bit of freestyle wrestling as a kid. Was, yeah. was that prior to starting playing rugby? No, no. Well, I started playing rugby as soon as I could walk, really. Um, you know, I was, I was no different to anyone else growing up in Wigan. It's, it's, it's rugby mad and that. And, you know, um, the team that I seen growing up, I just wanted to be like them. And then as soon as I heard that, you know, rugby players do freestyle wrestling to help them with the tackling. And uh, I had a friend at the time um, who was doing it. Like, you know, I just went down to Aspel, Aspel Wrestling Club and, uh, yeah, and, and Roy Wood, He's still uh, he's still keeping it going there now. He was um, he was coaching St Helens out to wrestle, and to my knowledge, they're the first ones in this country that use uh, freestyle wrestling to benefit right. the game. Yeah, we've had a uh, we had Charlie Bowling from Aspel Wrestling Club on last week. Yeah, yeah, he's, he's a cracking lad. He came down and gave us a seminar uh, last year at the Jiu Jitsu Club, and uh, yeah. I'm, it's something I'd like to to get better at. Definitely the wrestling aspects of it and the, the stand up. Yeah. Yeah, I, I wrestle with Charlie um, and uh, Mike Grundy as well for a few years uh, before he moved on to to what he was doing on on like the big stages. Yeah. And uh, you know they're. Uh, I mean, to me when I was young, because I didn't really understand it all, and the UFC wasn't around straight away. I didn't really at the time realize how exceptional some of the people that were the ah and then and then you realize like hang on a minute it's like you know pe- people like like those guys don't grow on trees and and it, it's showing now because i think england's always had the kind of stereotype that we're not not a wrestling country when you look at usa and, uh, and russia yeah. but especially in the north of england it's you know old-fashioned catch wrestling that's where it all comes from yeah it's got a so, massive heritage hasn't it in terms of wrestling in the north yeah, definitely especially yeah. wigan yeah yeah, I mean, I, I did, I, I did see like once. I can't remember where it was. I seen it, but if you follow like the the kind of like family tree kind of thing of who trained who, you can trace pretty much all like um, well, not all of them, but a, a big portion of like mixed martial artists and pro wrestlers back to Riley's gym, which was in Welly in Wigan. It was a predecessor to Aspel Wrestling Club. So people like the Rock has been trained by someone who's been trained by someone from Wigan. And it, yeah. it, it's bad to think like our, our small area can have a big impact like that. I had um, a story that, um, I can't remember the guy's name in Wigan, he was the main catch wrestling instructor. What was his name? Is it? Well, th- there's Roy Wood. I think and it's... Then, yeah, and then Billy Riley taught him, I think. so. I think it was Billy, either Billy Riley or Roy Wood. I think yeah. it would have been Billy Riley, like the earlier, the early, earlier proponents of it, actually taught the Kimura to Kimura. Kimura was a yeah, yeah. Japanese pro wrestler, mixed martial artist. He was known for this figure four wrist lock. Um, yeah. And that's how we got his name, Kimura. But he was actually taught by a Wiganer. Yeah. A partner. Yeah. Right, yeah. right, Ra- 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 showed me that when I was young. I mean, it's obviously not allowed in freestyle. But yeah. then. You know, you get young, energetic kids, and sometimes like they get a bit carried away, and they try and throw the weight about. And then I think it was as in like a position where I was pinning someone, and they were getting the forearm into my neck. And so when they leave their arm like that, if they if they're doing that, just do get that. that and then it, it, 
after that. And then from from there, I got I got interested in in submissions and stuff like that. And that that gave me, I mean, I, I wanted to get involved in it a lot sooner. But going professional with rugby got in the way. Yeah. But um, yeah, it's, it's always something that I've wanted to do to get into jujitsu or the submissions. Yeah, I think like I said before, it, it, it a lot of uh, from my experience, a lot of rugby players, whether it's professional or, or, or amateur, um, gravitate towards the, the grappling martial arts. Maybe if it's towards the end of the career, whether it's because of injuries or they've stopped playing or whatever, they do start to gravitate towards jujitsu wrestling because of that. You can still have that that contact, but it's a lot more controlled and less less um, yeah. there's less impact, definitely. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's interesting because the actual wrestling that's part of the, of the rugby league game now, it's almost become its own style of wrestling because you're in two-on-one two on and three-on-one situations and it's for only a few seconds. So yeah, It's in a different context, isn't it, than actual, yeah. like, yeah, Olympic wrestling or I mean, whatever, yeah. got, in a rugby team, lads going, yeah, he's the best wrestler in our team. But then when you put in a... Like you, you go outside and you train at a wrestling gym as a team, like it, it's completely different. So it's yeah. it's almost become its own specialist skill. And I mean, I think a lot of negative stuff gets said about it because the cynical fans see it as like, well, it, it's slowing the game down. It, it's their tactics, but it, it's always they always find a way to if you're defending to slow the attack down mm-hmm. legally and efficiently. And it and it's just like a constant. The rules are catching up and, and whatever, yeah. and, it, and it, it's really interesting to me. And I think, um, I think it'd be good, you know, for like Sky to they always showing the attacking side of things, you know, with these touch screens, the video analysis. I think they should get more people on to talk about, you know, the the subtleties and stuff what go in onto it. You know, like you, you see a few half Nelsons and a few definitely, few yeah, like, yeah, the pinning system that people are using in the tackle and that, yeah. I'd be fascinated. Yeah, I think if more, yeah. more people could see the work that goes into it, they'll say, actually, you know, you've got someone who's providing, um, like, he's a difference maker in the team because of his little efforts in the wrestle, uh, as opposed to your superstars who, who are doing exceptional things with yeah. the ball. Yeah, that's interesting. I've never thought of that point of view as well, yeah. I mean, that'd be fascinating yeah. if you had that, that aspect of the anal- analysis on a game as well, yeah. 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 So, when did you... Um, like you said, you'd always wanted to play rugby. You you was playing rugby since you can remember. You always had a ball in hand. At what point yeah. did you start thinking I could make a career out of this and turn professional? Well, it kind of like was in a bit of a peak and a trough. I mean, like w- when you're young, you don't you don't grow up and think I, I want to do something mediocre. Everyone wants to be an astronaut or you know the world champion or, or whatever it is. And I was lucky. I had um, a team. That was the most well-known uh, team in rugby league on my doorstep in Wigan. I was like, I'm going to be like them, and and, and no one could tell me otherwise. Yeah. And then um, you get to like high school, and then you're in a bigger pool of, uh, of lads who were all, you know, perhaps two, three years ahead of you in in physical maturity. And then it starts to set in like, you know, it's probably not not going to happen for me and that kind of stuff. But you kind of couple that with the you know, a lot of kids when they get to that point, they just quit because it's it's not going to happen. But you couple that with the fact that my house was my household was really unusual in the sense that my sister was uh, an international sprinter, and right. my dad was the stereotypical like 
you're going to do this pushy parent, you know, <laughs> I have my own failings in sport, so I'm going to create a family of, of athletes kind of thing. Right. And um, it, it was, you know, there were some positives that came from that, but there was a lot of, a lot of turmoil that came out of it. And so it was, so it was partly like, I wasn't allowed to quit anything. And it was partly, you know, I want to rub it in your face and, and show it that I can do it. Mm-hmm. But then, Along with that, I'll have a good game on a weekend, and my dad, my dad would go, "See, I made you do that because I got you, I got you fired up." So it, it was like a yeah. love hate kind of thing, yeah. and uh, I just kind of over the years learned to kind of take the bad with the good, and kind of detach emotionally from from things. Mm-hmm. And I think that's perhaps helped me because in a professional rugby environment, you've got to take a bollocking from your, your teammates or from your coaches. And you can't take it personal because there's money on the line and, it, yeah. and the stakes are high. Yeah. So, you know, you've got to just say, yeah, that was my fault. Take it on the chin. And, Wait, so and even, in a match, even in the middle of a match, if something doesn't go your way, you've got to have the ability to switch it and say, right, draw yeah. a line under it, yeah. draw a line under it, next player, let's move on, yeah? Yeah. If you yeah, start to dwell it. on things in life and in sport, then that's, that's, how, that's how we end up with uh, anxiety and all that kind of stuff, isn't it? I think I think the the real the real difference with me was that um, say my sister did athletics, so from from my dad's point of view, he could go right. I'm gonna. He already knew about like weight training from he, he was a cyclist and a rugby player. He knew about that, and he and then he could he could learn the basic principles of developing speed and endurance and whatever. And yeah. it, it's controllable in a in a in a one person sport where he can keep her on track and all that but then there's also the fact that she's then growing up and and perhaps is this for me is it not for me and, and whatever and, and it's like I think the, the aspect I've learned from that is it's more more um, a, a case of getting your message across in the most efficient way that makes them want to do it rather than just sticking a rocket up their ass and I think that yeah. absolutely killed, killed her off from wanting to go um, for like, well, she did go further despite it, really. But I think mentally, it took the enjoyment away away from it for mm-hmm. her. And I think with me, because I could go off to a team, I had that little bit of an escape of of the scrutiny. But um, yeah. I think, I think from I think from now that I know more about sports science, you know, if I was going to tell someone how to how to train a kid growing up and that kind of stuff, I think you you keep certain positives from it. You know, I'm not going to say it was all bad because there were good things, but you definitely changed the delivery method, and, and and a lot of it was like you know your typical old school blow, who's just <laughs> going to whip someone into shape, and and I think yeah. I'm thinking of it from what people's motivations are. From the last, last point of view, I take a challenge as personal, and I want to rise to it. But you know, women's sports a different kettle of fish because. Yeah. You know, there's there's all kinds of things you got to consider when not everyone's wired up that way, and I think I think it's a testament to what my sister did because she, in general, she did it in spite of of it rather than because of it. Whereas I think it was more positive for me because I just I just thought right I'm you know I've got a file it under me now because I'm gonna, yeah. I'm going to show. So I think you've got to understand what what motivates people, haven't you, and whether that's intrinsic or extrinsic whether people are moving towards goals or away from things. And you've got to understand yeah. the person you're working with rather than just a 
if I, if yeah. I kick you up the arse, you're going to go and do it. <laughs> yeah, because, I mean, like, there's a lot of other examples you see. If you go to any, I mean, I mean Wigan's like almost no other town in the country for the, the density of loads of amateur teams in one area. Mm-hmm. And, like, you go to any given field and you've got, like, angry parents who are giving ref abuse, they're giving the, the kids' teammates abuse. Like, my kid's the best, he should be getting the ball in that situation. They're letting us out or whatever, or dragging them off, you know, you're rubbish, like, all of that, that's not good enough. Like, and it, it, it really is, like, for someone who's not grown up in that environment, it's an eye-opener, I think. But, I mean, I think rather than take the negatives of, of it from myself, I just kind of, like, take it as a blessing on how it prepared me for, for tougher challenges. So... Yeah. I kind of, I kind of accidentally stumbled up, uh, across stoicism as right. a result of all that because. Um, what time was this? What what period did you start looking into stoicism? Probably in my teens, right. because uh, when, well, when I was young, I'm, I don't know about eight or, eight or something when Gladiator first came out, <laughs> and being the kind of like want to be like ma- macho guy that my dad was, he's like, like you, you watch stuff like Gladiator and Braver and all that and toughen you up, and then. I loved it, you know, and then I, I realised, like, from, like, my mum was a librarian, so anything like that um, I would be interested in, I'd have, um, the, like, the opportunity to kind of look it up in books, so I've always yeah. been inquisitive. So anyway, I looked up, I realised Marcus Aurelius was a real a real person, even though it, it wasn't a factual film, and it, he wrote a book called Meditations, which is basically, arguably, what you'd say is the Bible of Stoicism, mm-hmm. and... Um, it's basically, you know, in simple terms, just taking the world for what it is and, like, being prepared for any kind of negative eventuality and, and controlling what you can control. So that really steered me in a good direction because the path I was about to take had so many ups and downs and uh, it, success wasn't guaranteed. And, and it, it's not, to be honest, worked out how I imagined it as a young kid. Mm-hmm. But it's more more the fact that you know you just go in with no finish line to just bet yourself, and it, and it doesn't matter if you don't accomplish what you know anyone's preconceived notions of success are. It's about just you being better than yourself every day. Yeah, it's interesting because I've, I've I think we're on maybe like your episode maybe ten I think, and in nearly every episode the the idea of stoicism and the philosophies of stoicism has come up. It's interesting that it has become not popular, but a lot more people are aware of the kind of philosophies behind it and how objective it is and looking at looking at yourself inside before like your perceptions of the exterior and controlling what you can control and all that kind of thing. It's funny how it's just become in more people's consciousness. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, I think perhaps like anything to do with psychology or, or working on spirituality or anything like that, it would seem like... 20, 30 years ago, you, you, someone had said, oh, you're away with the furries, like, kind of thing. Yeah. But, I mean, if you look at, like, a lot of my heroes across different sports, they were ahead of the time. They were already doing that. And and that's the reason they were, they were so good. I mean, um, the last dance documentary about Michael Jordan. It's phenomenal. Yeah, I mean, the coach, Phil Jackson, in the 80s and 90s, he was talking about finding your sensor, controlling your breathing, Mm-hmm. Zen Buddhism and uh, you know ancient kind of like 
uh, teachings of, of Native Native Americans and stuff like that. And, it, and it, it's been there for generations, but I just think since perhaps the Industrial Revolution, we've probably become, we've gone completely off track about yeah. about who, who we are and who we want to be as humans. So, I mean, I mean that's why I'm into trying to keep, keep myself as living as a, I mean, I wouldn't say it's paleo, but it's as authentic of uh, and healthy of a lifestyle as it can live. Yeah. So let's go into that then a bit. Uh, we'll come back to your, your professional rugby career in, in a bit. But while we're yeah. on the subject of stoicism and philosophy and practices, can you can you go into a bit more detail about some of the practices that you you use during a day, whether that's your morning routine, maybe your eating habits, your fit, your training? Yeah. Well, I, I mean, the, the thing is, like, um, what I've done for years like um, before all this I was like I had a, a picture in my mind because um, in, in, in some things I get kind of like addicted to trying to get a perfect kind of environment and a setup but I mean stoicism tells you that nothing's perfect and you just gotta keep it going as best as possible yeah. but I was always fixed on like this is my perfect diet this is my perfect training plan and this is how I'm going to conduct myself and, and everything and then when something got in the way I was like no, that's not good enough and, and you beat yourself up about it and then I realise like you've just got to kind of stay on track as best you can so sometimes yeah. I do fall off and have a cheap meal I will like you know have too much to drink or whatever you know when the opportunity comes and that but I think the main the main part of it is getting straight back on to what you're doing and and not dwe- not dwelling on it so I mean I, yeah. I think to start every day with with like your, your anchoring kind of routine it is the best is the best way to go about that. So I mean, like for example, I'm I'm not a morning person, so I really do have to get up a lot earlier to wake myself up and get going and that kind of stuff. So yeah. um, from from training, I've always done ice baths anyway. But I just find that um, originally I was doing that for the for the physical benefits. So I find that doing that in the morning just really set, sets your mind and. Um, I like to do that along with eating a breakfast. Whereas perhaps when I was younger, I always ate like either cereal or, or fruit or whatever. And, it, and it's not that there's anything really badly wrong with them, but I find like when, when you start off with, with sugars or carbs, you crash in the middle of the day. And yeah. um, I think um, there's a bit of research being done that if you start with protein and fat, like good source, sourcing in the morning, uh, you'll make better decisions because of. Um, you know, you're sparking you the brain side after this. So I, I, try, I try and start my day off with red meat and eggs and uh, maybe a bit of spinach, usually. Mm-hmm. So everything kind of comes from there. I mean, I don't really have a set day-to-day diet, but the, the general rule is if it swims, runs, flies, or it's green, then eat it. Yeah. Um, I think it was Charles Poliquin who, who said that, and he, he was like a, a conditioner to a lot of Olympic medalists. So... Um, I kind of like have picked up little bits from social media and YouTube over the years yeah. to add to my routine. I think, I mean, I mean a lot of people. Talk it's important to, sorry, mate. It's important to be be open to all these suggestions and implement what's yeah. useful to yourself, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, that's it. That's it. Because I think if I was close-minded, I would have been like the many others who have said like, "Nah, stoicism not for me," or "Eating this way isn't for me," but. I think for all the negatives that get said about the internet and, and social media, if you're really 
concentrate on using it to to benefit you and learn. I mean, it, it's done that for me because I've taken perhaps inspiration from trainers, perhaps um, psychology people, mm-hmm. that kind of stuff, and just celebrities maybe in general on, on like their backstories. Have and, you, um, and, and when I, you look at stoicism, have you looked at um, Epictetus at all? I, have, I haven't read any of his work, but I've seen a lot of his quotes because, you know, he's an interesting. They, they do quote him quite a lot. Yeah, he's an interesting character because he, um, he was a prisoner and a slave, whereas Marcus Aurelius and Seneca were quite affluent. Was Obviously, Marcus Aurelius was the, yeah. the Roman emperor and the leader of the Roman army and all that, and Seneca was quite affluent, whereas Epictetus had the same ideas, the same stoic ideas and philosophies, but he was coming at it from being a slave and a prisoner. And it, 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 yeah. it directly mimics Marcus Aurelius' thoughts, but from from a place of, of poverty. It's, it's interesting how he comes to the same conclusions. Yeah. I mean, I mean that's, for me, the definition of, of mental strength, uh, you know, of being able to, whatever negative situation you're in, find, find a way forward and stuff. And, and, and it's, it's really hard. But, I mean, I think that, um, it's like they say in, in martial arts, everyone's got a plan till they get punched in the mouth. Yeah. And then you know, when when things start getting thrown at you in life, think that, that's what I've done in the past. I've, I've gone off track with, with my plans. And I don't think I've ever really had, maybe only a couple of occasions I've had like say about a year or two years where I've absolutely nailed my routine and my training. And, and, and yeah. coincidentally, those were the years that I've been most successful. But um, it's easier said than done because, you know, things get thrown at you in life. And I think um, I've been guilty of perhaps using them as, as excuses before. And now most people, you know, if I was to tell them about, about what they are, they'd, they'd probably say, well, that's a valid excuse. But I mean, it's fine if you just detach emotionally from it yeah. and look at it from an objective kind of perspective. Then, you know, people are way stronger than they give themselves credit for and they can, they can do it. So, yeah. Do you want to go into any of those... Um life events that yeah. has happened yeah so i mean basically um when well when i was younger as, as i've said like i was being, as being pushed towards this goal i mean it, it helped that i re, you know i really did enjoy rugby and that but um i got to a point mid-teens where I, I i would have quit if i'd have had more understanding parents but then uh, it got to a point where it's like well i'm not going to get signed now because i've i've not had a growth spurt young enough some of the lads were like, they looked like grown men at 14. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, funnily enough, um, I, played, I played professionally with a lot of lads that were back there at that point. So it, it was a ha- hard environment to make it into the team. And I just probably thought this was the average team. But really, when I look back a bit on it, St. Pat's junior team, we were probably the best amateur team that there's been for generations. But... Um, Anyway, I wasn't going to get signed, and then when I was really thinking of quitting, I realised that uh, well, I, I had a, I had a teacher at school who had a lot of rugby union connections, and uh, he said like, um, "We're going to go and do this tournament at Kirk and Grammar School. It's a private school, but you can earn a scholarship if you play good enough." So I thought, well, I'm probably not going to go professional, but I could get like you know some education out of it, and perhaps like getting a better position than I would have been what my parents wouldn't have been able to afford 
Um, so I go down this path, and then, funnily enough, like, as I was a late, a late bloomer, when I get to, like, 16, I start to grow and get bigger anyway. Mm-hmm. So rugby union, like, for those that don't know, they're inherently, like, um, they're the same, the same type of sport, rugby, but they're two different codes. And, like, one, one is a lot different. Like, rugby league's far, far more faster and confrontational, whereas rugby union is more of a slow grind and uh, there's a bit more tactics involved. So I wasn't going to learn quick enough to get to a high level with union. So um, I was going down this path of just trying to maybe get a uni scholarship off the back or, or whatever. But I went home one summer and I was playing for St. Pat's Metal Club again back yeah. at rugby league. I got picked up by Wigan. They'd noticed I'd, I'd grown since last time. And um, I got an opportunity. And I was, to be honest, I was way out of my depth. But um, I just thought, well, this is like, do you know what I mean? Like, I've just been kissed by a furry. And this was, this was never going to happen to me. So what do, what do you mean when you say way out of your depth? In what way? Like, just your physicality well, or your, your skill level? No. I mean, I probably caught the physicality aspect up by by catching people up growing. I, I've been used to being the, the smaller guy or the skinnier guy. So so that wasn't the problem. But mm-hmm. I think when when you move from amateur to professional, the thinking time is cut down because it's faster. The skill level has to be bang on. And, you know, if you make a mistake, you know, you're gone, you're out the door because there's so many people queuing up to get the opportunity. Yeah. So um, I just was like... Whereas a lot of lads may have been, this was their bread and butter and they were 60, 70% at training because they, they knew they were going to be in the team. I was, when I first, I was on a trial, so I didn't have a contract. Every single training session, I was just going like it was my last game. And then the, the team dynamic of rugby, like you don't want to rub people up the wrong way because sometimes the lag that, that goes like full on at training, um, he don't sit well with everyone, so like I, I realised like I've got to keep the balance between impressing and like trying to hurt people at training and that kind of stuff. Yeah. And then uh, fortunately, like you know, I was just in a, in the right place at the right time, and I managed to get an extended contract. And I probably like just through the, the kind of full time environment and uh, um, perfecting the little basics over and over again. I managed to catch every everyone up, and then um, I was probably on the performance level. But my mindset had been that of someone who, who wasn't as good. So right. you know, you're imposter syndrome and that kind of stuff. Yeah. I just didn't feel like I should have been there. So it's probably physically mature enough, but not emotionally mature mm-hmm. enough mm-hmm. to take advantage, really. Yeah. So did you not? Was you not aware? I mean, you're saying this now that. You, you might have been like suffering from imposter syndrome and thinking you're not good enough. Yeah. What, at what point did you start to recognise that? Was that something that was recognised immediately or not? Or have you only just oh, sort of come around to that it, sort of thinking? Just when I, when I look back on it, really, I mean, you, you know, my, dad, my dad's attitude was that, like, you've got to work hard, you've got to be humble, and you can't think you're ever good enough, and you've got to improve on every performance. But when you take that to the extreme, you never give yourself the credit that you deserve. Yeah. And I think that I, I wasn't looking at when I was young, I'm going to have this career and go on to win, to win things. I was thinking if I could just play in that team. So I'd achieved my grand final because I'd not looked past it. And then I, I thought, well, 
I don't really belong with these these people because these are superstars who have idolised mm-hmm. growing up. And I mean, looking back on it, the team that we, that we had when I broke through into the first team squad at Wigan, it was probably one of, if not the best teams yeah. of the Super League era, like the modern what, era. What year was that, Tom? Sorry. Um, around 2012, 2013. Right. Um, so I was like 21 at the time. And, uh, you know, they, they, they showed faith in me. They knew I could do a job physically. But, I, you know, I had a few good performances and whatever, enough to earn the contract I was on. And then they think, right, he's ready for a big, a big game here. And I, I played in a few big games in some derbies, like Wigan, Wigan v Saints, Wigan v Warrington. And I felt like in tackles, I was, I was as stronger as players. But certain pressure moments, I just completely bottled it, if I'm being honest. I, I just... You know, the nerves and the environment gets to you. Everyone's yeah. putting pressure on you. You're putting pressure on yourself. Just drop the ball um, a few times. And, and and it was like, right, you know what I mean? You, you get sub, you, someone else who's who's playing well gets put in. And then um, eventually when I kind of like figured out how to cope with pressure and, uh, and do my job without making mistakes, it was coming to the back end of my contract. And then uh, I kind of thought like, well, I'm going to have to, Start new here because you know I've not I've not kept myself in I've not done good enough and uh, even at that point I didn't realise I didn't put it to how I'd been raised and how I'd been conditioned to feel not good enough yeah. but um, it's definitely what it was looking back on it but anyway that's what that's where my career with Lee started so so when you say you say about um, learning to cope with pressure what sort of things did you start to work on then to to enable you to be able to work under pressure and cope with that strain and that stress on the field? So, I mean, like I said, I've, I've gone up and down a lot in, in coming back to, you know, stoic philosophies. It's not been one big thing where I've, I've done it since that time and I've done it well. Right, but okay. I can probably pinpoint sections in my life where I come back to it and I really get everything nailed on. And then it's one of the most successful times of my life kind of thing and then mm-hmm. um so basically what what happened was um i got i got sold to lee and um i mean i don't know if you were but i mean the the way that the game at the like at the top level is run is probably compared to other um professional sports really unorganized yeah. and there's so there's been moments where the top level there's been promotion and relegation and then sometimes the finances aren't there so you have to keep one full-time league and you can't get your way up. Okay. So at the end of that season, they said, right, um, promotion and relegation is back on now because we've got some wealthy championship teams who want to give them a crack at getting in. So I signed for Lee off that strength because, like, Sean Wayne is a great coach, great motivator uh, at Wigan. He, he said to me, look, you're good enough to have a career out of rugby, but just not good enough to be in this team because... It's an exceptional team, and you and you're good. I don't want you to feel bad that you're not in, and I want you to have a good life. You know, he's really great about right. it. And let me go, and um, so I thought, right, promotion relegations coming back in. I've been on on loan at Lee before. I'm going to go there. We'll work our way back up. Then the goal the goalpost with that got changed so many times. So I. I was at this point where I'm, I'm sticking to my mental philosophies. I'm training well. I'm eating well. And we're absolutely dominating it in the championship with Lee. Mm-hmm. Midway through the season, they say, right, 
we've not put plans in place for promotion and relegation early enough, so it's not going to be it this year. Oh. So um, it's going to be next year. So I thought, right, that's a setback. I'm still young. We'll carry on going. We'll earn promotion next year. So we dominate dom- dominate the league that year. We win. Probably like um, we we give it we give a few Super League teams when we played them in the in the Challenge Cup a good go. So mm-hmm. we, we knew it wasn't it wasn't like unreasonable. Yeah. And a goal. Anyway, we come back the next year. Said they said right, we've developed a new playoff format where you've got to beat the bottom Super League teams to get in rather than just win your own league. So yeah. now the goalposts have gone from just winning your league to winning the bottom half of Super League. And don't get me wrong, that system was brilliant for the fans. And as a fan of the game, it made for really exciting, exciting. rugby. Yeah, yeah. And I've gone from winning where we promised promotion and it didn't happen to then getting to this stage and falling short because we weren't quite there. And then the third year, the same system in place, but we absolutely smashed the competition, went up. But mm-hmm. our way through that season, I got injured. And then, despite us winning promotion, I didn't get kept on. So it's like I, you know, right. what I mean, three times I had a chance to go up, and something's got in the way. And then, I kind of just kind of muddled through it. Enough is it like, uh, how do I say it? Kind of like you know, not striving for the best, but kind of scraping through like you do. You know, you just kind of yeah, kind of get just through cruising, because, cruising along. Yeah, yeah. what well, I mean, what whatever whatever I seem to do. I seem to be like, well, I'm not going to play Super League again. I may as well just enjoy my career. And, and it, although it, it perhaps seemed like, well, you know, um, did that ease any pressure on you? Did that in, in inside yourself relieve any pressure that you've had this influence from your your dad growing up pushing you, and you've always had the aspirations to achieve more and achieve more? But now circumstances are out your control, where you just have yeah. to take it as it comes. And I mean. I mean, I think it did. It did in a way because, like, when you're thrown into a harsh environment, you just long for the comfortable road, and then that seems good at first. But um, I mean, you soon figure out that, like, did um, I think it Jocko Willink, former Navy SEAL, he yeah. said discipline equals freedom, and and I figured out late, later in my twenties that you gotta take the uncomfortable road to get you know, happiness really. And yeah. I just associated all that hard work with negativity because I've been forced into it rather than from the point of view like you do this, that's a prize and you get success. So yeah. I'd, even though I'd worked hard, I'd done it with the wrong mindset. So without the right mindset, how hard your work doesn't matter. You've yeah. got to be positive about it no matter, no matter what. I think one of the most so, positive um, things that I've seen in a while and it's from Jocko Willink, the, the video that is titled Good. Yeah. Have you seen that? Yeah. I love that. It's amazing. So anyone yeah. who's who's watching this or listening, if you've not seen it, just type into YouTube, Jocko Willink, Good. And it's a whole, so a three minute long video, just about a mindset of anything that happens in your life, whatever circumstances, there's always good that can come out of it. It gives you an opportunity to, to do something else and strive for something yeah. else. It's a powerful That's video, it. isn't it? Yeah. I mean, I mean, at, at this point, I've been kind of like in a in a, an easier, easier kind of environment where I'm not being challenged at the top, but I, I'm sticking to my principles because I'm not really being put under the pump. And then yeah. when things started to put me under the pump, 
they started to waver. And then at, at the time, you know, off the field, things were getting worse and worse. And then that's where I kind of resolved to myself to mediocrity, really. Yeah. And, uh, you know, ultimately, I've, I've had to pay the price and work, work my way back into getting the right attitude again. But, I mean, off the field, that's where, you know, I, I had problems. So, basically, my dad paid the price for his kind of hard-ass attitude with, with that. He didn't make a warm family environment and my mum and dad split up. Um, and then the negative like side of that with, with my dad just went worse and worse because um, we didn't realise when we were young, but he was bipolar. Right. And uh, so if he wasn't happy about how well something was done, it could be like, well, you know, it's all right, we'll deal with it or whatever. Or it could be all hell's broken loose and it's a big argument or whatever. Yeah. And then, excuse me, and then after, after the divorce happened, uh, my sister had gone away to uni. So in, in her mind, she'd escaped that. She was doing athletics for fun. Now, probably went down a similar path to me where she you know, was happy to be not, not where she'd been before. But then yeah. eventually, she's really good academically. She, she traded it for, for her work life because you know, she was really up there, A's and A stars kind of thing. So, I mean, with me, I, I didn't really have much direction anywhere else and I, you know, I'd gone to semi-pro because I wasn't at that level anymore and um, my, my dad had, uh, had retired from work then um, he'd had a bad back all his life and that and he had to he had to retire a bit before 60 so um, so yeah I was I was being expected to work and play semi-pro to prop him up and pay the mortgage of the house that we were living in now, this was a four or five bedroom family house and uh, I, you know, I felt that pressure massively. And then, um, you know, due to how he was with my rugby, you know, if I wasn't doing well enough, you know, it'd be on to me because, like, you've got to do it now, otherwise we'll be on the streets. Yeah. So at this point, did you understand about his bipolar, or was it still sort of undiagnosed, and you, you didn't know a lot about well, it? I'd heard about it. I'd heard about it from him, but I didn't know what it was. And um, to me. It just seemed like I'm being really taken advantage of here, kind of thing, and I, and I, and I really clashed with my dad at that point. And mm. I mean, before it, it had been like, "Yeah, I don't like how hard you are on me, but you know, I still love you as a dad and all that kind of stuff." But it yeah. gotten really to the point where it's like, the only reason I'm living with you is because we're in a bad spot, and I really don't want anything to do with you. But I didn't feel like I had much of the choice, and uh, I mean, back then. Um, I mean, I say back then, it was only what, six, seven years ago. It, it wasn't perhaps to the extent that it is now talked about, like the importance of coming and talking to people about your personal issues. Uh, yeah. I'd always been of the mindset where like, well, if I come to my coach and say um, this, that and the other as an excuse, it, he's going to think, you know, you're not mentally strong enough to do your job and, and that kind of stuff. And then... Uh, so was that never an really, option for you to go and talk to people about what was going on at home? Well, I mean, the odd time were, I mean, being a physical sport, rugby, I, when I was at Wigan, sometimes like things would get confrontational at training sometimes, uh, whether that's on the training paddock or just, you know, when you're messing about in, you know, in the break room or whatever. Yeah. And then uh, lads are play, playing pranks on each other all the time. And some, a lot of time I took it personally because I had this kind of emotional baggage 
with me. And then, you know, when they don't know what's wrong with you, you, you know, you don't think that they'd understand, but most of the time they, they would do. But because I didn't tell them, they just thought oh, he's being soft. Like, well, I'm here, man. I, re I really started getting to me. Yeah. Anyway, um, looking back on it now, if it wasn't in that situation, stuff would be really funny. You know what they did? It's just lads having banter and whatever. And some sometimes lads used to like prank call her out. And if my dad answered it, you know, he he'd not find it funny and all that kind of stuff. So. One, one day I went in, it was like, enough is enough. And I said I said to a few people about what it was. And, you know, no no one believed me, to be fair. I didn't tell the right people. And yeah. I think that's one thing what, you know, they, they thought that, you were, that I was just trying to, like, wiggle my way out of the position and whatever. And that's one thing that I don't think gets spoken about enough. We're all about talking now, but I think talking smartly to the right people who, who can help you rather than just venting because when you vent like what kind of like what my dad did to me he vented yeah. to me and I couldn't help him because I, I didn't have the means to help him and it just made both of us worse so I think it, it's good to talk and everything but you've got to find someone's outlet yeah yeah and then since all that's happened we've had we've had stuff come into the game like rugby league curs you know sporting chance and they're independent from your team so mm -hmm. what people players can do now is they can speak to them and it won't get back to the team. And they can put in place any kind of help you need. And, and it's absolutely brilliant what they do yeah. now. So, I must admit, you know, from my point of view, over the last three or four years, um, there has been a lot more awareness in, in rugby league in yeah. general, but in sport in general, about the mental health side of it and all these different organisations yeah. coming in where you can ring up independently and, and get support. But there's, there's a lot of press. Um, that stigma, I think, is slowly slowly um like what's the word getting better isn't it that there is more yeah. acceptance of people being able to talk about the issues and the problems i think i think the problem comes is that the, there's always cynical people who will see that well somebody's using mental health for financial gain or something like that and then yeah. all of the negative gets lumped in with what people are trying to do positively and then it kind of it kind of shies people away from it and i think yeah you know, more things like this, like stuff what's done for the community interest rather than for, for personal gain. And it's not done in a cynical way. It's not, you know, just promotion. It, yeah. It's getting to the, the nuts and bolts of things. This, this is the stuff that, that can help, I, I think. Definitely. So, the more people who, the more advocates like yourself. Um, yeah. When I spoke to Jamie Acton as well, he was, he was quite um, open and honest about some of his... Uh, mental health experiences in, in retiring early from rugby. And the more people who, who get out there and talk about it, the, the more it'll reduce that stigma and it'll, it'll help people, definitely. It can't not do. You know what I mean? Especially yeah. like big, tough, tough, perceived tough, big, strong rugby lads talking about their emotions and feelings. It can't not, yeah. it can't not trickle down into the wider community. I mean, I mean that's like kind of, I mean, what, what I was going to talk about later on is what I'm doing now to help with people. But my insecurities about starting stuff like that was no one's going to care what I say because I'm not the top performer in my field. And, and it, do you know what I mean? Yeah. People aren't interested in, in mediocre people. I, I'm, I'm hoping that I can just provide more relatable stuff. And perhaps if it only helps a few people, it's better than helping no one. Mm -hmm. So, I mean... What ensued for it from that point was what what led me down all of this. It, it got gradually worse, but 
everything I was doing was masking the problem rather than dealing with it. So uh, I managed to get um, a good contract at London Broncos, uh, moving on from that injury with Lee. Yeah. And um, we, we downsized the house, so it was kind of a temporary stopgap. So we, we sold the house and got a smaller house. But he, my dad wasn't working and he was um, too old to get a mortgage. So I was paying for the mortgage. So I was basically supporting him. And then he was worried about me going away and not being there to support him. I was thinking like, well, part of me wanted to be away from the drama of being around him. But then I was like, well, I can come back up at weekends and stuff. Like that. And, and you're going to have more, you know, you're going to have no mortgage now. Mm-hmm. So I thought it was going to kind of just go away, but um, being away for a, a few days at a time, every time I was training or playing, uh, it really didn't help things. And then uh, it, it came to the point where, because he was quite secretive about his own personal money and he'd not been managing it well, he was really concerned. I, I couldn't fathom that he didn't have the money to get to get by with what I thought he had because I was paying all the bills and paying my own bills. Well then. It comes to a point uh, midway down there when I'm in London where he's really absolutely lost it mentally. Uh, and it, it's, you know, I know a lot more about bipolar at this stage and he's really like, I've got to just not fall out with him and try and help him as good as possible. Yeah. And uh, I've got my own kind of mental burden because I'm paying two sets of, of bills. And then I'm back to the point where if I don't win on the weekend, you know, a bill's not going to get paid, do you know what I mean? Yeah. And um, it, it, it was really hard because, like, as you know, London is an expensive place to live. And it, for, from what I saw as a positive opportunity, it kind of spiralled out of control. But, um, I mean, at that kind of point, the, um, while all this had been going on, my mum had been getting her life back on her feet because the whole divorce had really, like, knocked her for six because... Uh, she left with nothing basically she wanted to, to get out of the, the kind of abusive household so she could, just got back to the point where she could now help me so she started like contributing here and there so she was like I'm happy to help you but if you're just passing it on to dad you don't know what he's doing with it do you know what I mean you, you need to try and sit him down go through his finances write all out and that and, it, and he just wasn't playing ball and then it, it was it was a really tough like time, but as this is going on, we're, we're back with London now. We're back in this race for promotion, and this could be a genuine opportunity to now play Super League after having the goalpost moved four times already. Yeah, yeah. So, like that's selfishly as an athlete, that's a lot for you to deal with uh, mentally. You throw that's yourself a lot going into on. that. Yeah, I mean, I mean, I threw myself into that, and we earned, we earned promotion. And uh, we did really well. And um, I thought with, with everything that was going on, I wasn't, I wasn't at my best 100%, but I did enough to con- contribute. And that was probably like probably the best year I've ever had. But nice. unfortunately, it wasn't enough to earn myself another contract into Super League. And um, I, part, part of me blamed my dad because I thought well, I would have been you know, better if I wasn't um, having lack of sleep by bombing up and down to London, yeah, yeah. worrying about finance and all that stuff. And then I just came to the point where I thought I've, I've had like uh, hiccups along the way that many times. 
whatever happens, I just don't care. So I'm just going to be as positive as possible. And I, I really, really doubled down at getting positive. And uh, so I came back up, uh, went part-time again, uh, back with Lee, who in this, in this time, they've gone down the ranks, so they've gone part-time again. Right. And uh, I'm, I'm really going to like just take everything on the chin from my dad. I'm going to get him right, because this is the point where he's threatening suicide if I don't pay him this much by a certain day or whatever. Yeah. It was really taking its toll, but my positivity was like, my, my feelings don't matter and that that took its toll on me after a bit but at the time I thought that's how I'm dealing with it um, what did you think then, sorry sorry Tom to interrupt you what when your dad was talking about suicide what was what was your, your thoughts about it did you think he was he was serious or how did you how did you deal with that a lot of the time I thought he was just manipulating me and um, because it was wearing me out and I wanted kind to do like an emotional blackmail. Yeah. Yeah. I, I felt like I've gone down this road because he's pushed me into it and I'm doing what you want me to do. And now I'm starting to have some hope mm. You're getting in my way. And, uh, yeah, it was, it was really, it was really hard. But then, um, I really did think a few times, yeah, he's being serious here, but, I mean, sometimes I step back and say, you know, he's, he's just kind of manipulated me there to, you know, yeah. give up my month's wage to him or whatever. So, I mean, a lot of other lads at that time, I'd, I'd not told anyone uh, about how bad it had got. And a lot of other lads at that time, they, they were getting frustrated with me because away from playing rugby, they want to do what, you know, what lads do, have, have a good crack, go out for food, go out for drinks, all that kind of stuff. But they yeah. just thought I was being antisocial and, you know, and tight with my money and stuff like that, but I just couldn't bear to tell them what was going on. Yeah. Um, anyway, when I, when I was at Lee, um, John Duffy had become coach. I still coach now, and he, he, he played with me, so I, I knew him on a lot more personal level. I really, I really trusted him. Finally opened up. I opened up to him. It made me feel really, really good, and I felt like things were going somewhere. We were, you know, we were really working together. Yeah. Uh, he was giving me the understanding I needed off the field and he was encouraging me on the field and uh, it, it was giving me a fresh bit of outlook to, to help my dad and then I thought just as I kind of thought things were getting better he had, he had a crash on his bike he'd been, he'd been into cycling all his life and uh, he got told then that because his back was already bad it made it worse and he was going to need an operation to put him in a wheelchair and I thought all I can do is, is give him the kind of experience I've had where I've had an e reconstruction with rugby yeah. uh, when I was Lee the first time. And like you can rehab your way out of these things because it, it wasn't one of those where he's going to be paralysed from the waist down. It was going to be one of these where, you know, you see athletes rehab from these things. Yeah. And then because of his age, he was just like, I can't do that. I can't do that. So I thought I'll, I'll really be positive and get him into into it but he just wasn't wasn't having it and then uh, you know lo and behold eventually what one day I came back after playing a, a game of rugby and uh, without warning he'd, he'd been fine mentally well seemingly to me the last few days I walked in and, it, and, it, and he'd hung himself on the door as soon as I walk in in the kitchen so um, I had to pull him off and there was still a uh, coming in and out and I, I was just 
I had to do CPR and that, trying to, trying to revive him. And he had the ambulance on loudspeaker. They got the, you know, within a few minutes. I was amazed how quick they got there. And then they really tried everything they could, but uh, they couldn't bring him back. And then, you know, it was, it was one of the, I won't wish it upon anyone. And he, even though he had talked about all of that kind of stuff previously, nothing at all prepares you. So uh, I came to a now, point where... Looking back now, yeah. is, do we, you, you still can't sort of see that any warning signs or any indication that that was what he was planning on doing? Well, I, he, he'd said it that much as throwaway comments and that I just thought he's, he, he's just doing it to manipulate. But and, and then a part of me was guilty because, you know because I thought that way, but I, I honestly did everything I could. Um, you know, I, I couldn't have I couldn't have taken any more on the chin and keep, keep supporting him and whatever. It was just, uh, you know, I resolved to, to, to think of it this way, that um, he died of a disease because that's that's what it is. He, he, he couldn't, I couldn't cure his disease and despite how much um, I encouraged him, he wouldn't go and, you know, sit in a group or, you know, that kind of stuff. He's just too old school. He just wouldn't do it. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, it, it, it's it's this demographic of, of blokes who are this way that, that it affects. And, and, and it's the reason, I mean, the modern world is way different to the mindset of these blokes underneath. They, they, they want to be like animalistic, however they are. And it just doesn't fit in the modern world. And they need outlets. No. So... I just came to the point after that where I thought I've dabbled in um, stuff with my mindset at times and it's worked good, but I've never religiously stick to it. So I just made the decision after that, I'm going to completely change my life and be like, like it's a religion. I'm going to be, I'm going to be this way all the time. If I can, mm-hmm. I'm going to, I'm going to put everything and I'm not going to, um, die wondering because basically yeah. a lot of, a lot of his life was regret at not achieving the things he wanted to achieve and he felt like he just failed so I thought well I'm going to get as far as I can in rugby I've got these this experience in these jobs I've had so you know stuff with mental health with kids personal training finance I thought I'm going to put all that into you know starting off you know some kind of brand and I thought this is going to be my way I make this okay. Yeah. And uh, yeah. so that's your way of taking the positive from a, yeah. an unbelievably devastating situation. But that mindset that you've adopted all the way through growing up has has enabled you to 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 deal with this terrible situation somehow and get some positive from it, hasn't it? Yeah, I mean that's all you can do, mate. I mean the the problem is I think the the cure for depression not not a cure as a pill the the cure is the best prevent preventative measure yeah is something actually hard to do in terms of training physically training mentally eating right when people have an unhealthy lifestyle thrown in the face by adverts all the time that they don't know any different and it, and it seems like to, to the average person i can't do that i can't get my way out of this depression well yeah. That that's why that's why I wanna I wanna do this. So, if there's if there's anybody listening or watching this now who maybe hasn't dealt with similar experiences but is feeling um, similar similar emotions and thoughts like depression or regret or dealing with 
death in the family or suicide. Could you could you just give a, a couple of little I don't know um, mindset tips that that you dealt with straight away that what what clicked for you straight away? I think the the first thing is to no matter how hard it is, don't blame yourself. Um, you may have done everything you could, or you may not have done. But as as harsh as it sounds, it's already happened to whoever your loved one is, or if it's happening to you and you're feeling it, like you know, just get help. And you know, you have to leave your ego at the door because um, a, a lad, a lad who used to play rugby against Luke Campbell, he's doing great things in mental health. He, he put something on before. And these man clubbers in it, yeah, Luke Campbell, yeah. Yeah, he put something on saying, "I'd rather listen to your story." then go to your funeral and you know people people if you're given the chance they will listen to you and uh, I think I mean rugby league curves really helped me with it all Steve McCormack he was a you know he was an ear for me and then uh, I think I soon realized rather than talking and dwelling on it I've, I've, I've got it off my chest I've said right action now because mm-hmm. a lot of people they, want, they, they do the first step and they talk, well then what comes after that? You've got to fix, you've got to fix the problem. And the, the, most, the most actionable things are stuff you control, like your health, what you put in your body, affects your mood, affects your thoughts. Getting that um, kind of rush of dopamine from training endorphins, it, that really sets you up for the day. And like, I obviously have to train performance-wise for rugby, but I think, training something that's been part of my life I'm always going to do it after rugby because yeah. I'm not always training for performance I'm training to feel good every yeah. day yeah like without without that I can't like if, if I can like obviously you can't go to gyms and that now but I've got to wake up and do some kind of body weight exercises some kind of running and uh, you know if I if I've got a rugby game coming up or whatever I just do a little bit of something to get the blood flowing where I don't want to be sore but you know it, it can be you know, people love to say, you know, I don't have the time and that, but it can be five, ten minutes before the kids get up or whatever. Yeah. You know, anything. I think people so, get confused, don't they, between like when we talk when people talk about exercise, people automatically assume or oh, go in the gym, lifting weights, training to be yeah. aesthetically pleasing, having a good body and all that, but the the yeah. connection that the physical body has to the mind, I don't think a lot of people realise that exercise and being able to feel good to induce these endorphins and dopamine and all the other chemicals. It can just be a matter of body weight exercise, a bit of stretching, a bit of movement-based stuff. It doesn't have to be just going to the gym and lifting weights, does it? From my kind of, like, I've been on this crusade on, like, self-help Twitter, on picking out the best points from all these inspirational people. And what I'm seeing is the, the best business people now, they're not the old-fashioned fat guys in a chair with a cigar. They're, they're in shape. And yeah. Because they're fitter, they're mentally fitter, and they earn more money because they're fitter. Mm-hmm. And uh, I've really like kind of delved into that world with what I'm doing on the side uh, as a job with rugby now, as a financial advisor, because um, it's kind of it's kind of like um, my future away from the game in, in one respect, but it's also helping people when setting up stuff like insurance policies, funeral plans, life insurance, and that's all stuff that um is close to my heart because of what happened yeah and um you know i feel i feel like also the advice financially 
fits with, with training because you're trying to be healthier for your kids. You're trying to have more money for your kids and your family. It's all, you know, what you can leave as your legacy. It's all interlinked. And uh, a lot of people are like, no time because of work. It, it, it should be part of everyone's working day because, you know, it's no good being unhealthy and a load of money and dying at 40, is it? Like, you know what I mean? I know. I know. And when people think of health, and it's a point you just touched on there, and um, again, I've gone down like the self-help route and been obsessed by yeah. self-help books for years and years and drawing different influences from different people and stuff. And a lot of people talk, when talk about health, we automatically again assume our body health, but you can have emotional health, financial health, physical yeah. health and mental health. And all this, all this stuff is, is health in itself, doesn't it? It doesn't just mean your body. Yeah, definitely, definitely, mate. Because um, when when we moved, me and my dad from the old house, um, as you know, a lot of people they set up um, a life or a critical illness insurance policy to pay off the mortgage if you die. Yeah. Now he hadn't he hadn't disclosed on there his his bipolar, so he thought, well we're going to get a good deal at this because do you know what I mean? There's nothing wrong with me, but because yeah. he hadn't disclosed it when he died, um, the mortgage weren't paid off. So, so he left with debt like, after he died. Also, you know, because he'd not, he'd not got things in place, um, you know, for people to sort out his estate and that kind of stuff. I had to do all of that. So I had to deal with all, all his belongings. Yeah. Um, it, his will wasn't up to date. Uh, and all that kind of stuff. So, all all this kind of stuff financially that um, that I do is is literally directly related to my experience, and that's why you know I, I'm really throwing myself in, into that because yeah. if I can if I can help someone, you know, have peace of mind because they know the funeral's paid for or they know that the mortgage is paid off. That that's massive because I wouldn't want anyone to go through not only the the act of him killing himself, but what what's it's still going on now it happened last year and the process still hasn't finished because the it's called a probate process where everything gets decided on, on what happens with all your finances and everything and uh, your house and what you own and it, it can take forever especially under the circumstances that it happened so yeah. it, if i if i can be of help to people like that that's that's massive for me so just, just before we finish off, can you talk a little bit how you're starting to implement that so you've got the financial side of it, the mental health and the physical aspect? So, yeah, so, I mean, from the financial side, I'm, I'm now qualified um, to ad advise on uh, personal protection. So that's all that stuff that I've just talked about yeah, in terms of yeah. your... And I'm now learning about business protection. So for the climate we're in where businesses get interrupted, insurance policies that will pay out the outgoings of the business in that kind of stuff so you know it's a big topic what what people want to discuss the physical side um i'm a qualified level three pt and level two rugby coach and obviously got the rugby experience in there yeah. and I'm, I'm really big on and interested in nutrition and then from the mental side obviously everything that i've been through and um I'll have to give a shout out to Lee Community Trust because I work with them, um, you know, helping disadvantaged kids out. And uh, I think the program that me and a few other rugby lads did, we got all of all of these lads who were expelled from schools 
back into either full-time education or work after the programme. So we just had a more of a kind of understanding, relatable ear of our own personal experiences and helped them. Was that we make so us at the community trust? Was it? Yeah. 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 So I mean, that's a you know that's a great initiative. I'm you know really behind that. So so we've got we've got the three kind of pronged attack that mm-hmm. um, um, I'm probably looking at the back end of this year having it uh, kind of all locked into one kind of brand with a website that I'm developing at the minute. Um, I've kind of been doing that throughout my time in lockdown. So as well as that, I'm still working, actually helping clients financially. So sorting all the insurance out and stuff like that. And um, people, I've been putting some things on Twitter and people have been DMing me. So anyone interested in letting me help you there, DM me if you've got any kind of financial worries that I can, I can either help or I can pass them on to something. And then I'm just going to for want of a better word, interlock it all and, and put it yeah. in one big kind of self-help brand. So I think it's a really good idea because obviously the, the the mental and the physical side to one side, I mean, it, financial um, money troubles and stuff is a massive thing at the moment, isn't it? People have massive issues with yeah. debt and that can then compound to yeah. mental health issues and that as well. So I think it's a really good idea. So it's, because, it's, because it's the best... This, Sorry, go on. If this had happened a few years ago when I was supporting my dad i would have been absolutely buggered financially mm. so you know it's there's a lot of people who are out there who are propping up family members or you know they've been laid off at work and all that kind of stuff and and, and that's that's what we're here for um the companies call your protection and uh we're actually ranked the number one um personal protection firm in the northwest because right. most people have trusted us to look after those kinds of things so yeah you know, what's, it's really, really rewarding. Yeah. What's the best platform to get in contact with? Did you say Twitter? Yeah, Twitter. Uh, T Spenner Eight, and um, I'm I'm starting a YouTube. So I, I did a bit of an introductionary video the other week and explaining what I've explained to you and what what I want to do. And there's going to be some content going out on there. And I'm just looking to get on whatever podcast I can get on and talk about. Um, you know, your protection financially you know, my mental experience of what I've been through and the, the sport and the physical side of things also. Yeah, I think it's a, it's an important message, mate. And one of the, again, one of the reasons why I started doing this is about the peer, to, I'm, I'm big on peer-to-peer support. So not necessarily it all being about professionals who are, who are all trained and psychologists, yeah, yeah. people who've got lived experiences who can support yeah. other people in the community through sharing that experience. Yeah. Definitely. I mean, I, I have to say before we finish that um, when um, everything got really bad in the last few years and I, I did all the things that I, I said I did, at that time, that's when I opened up to my close few friends. So, you know, like Rodri Lloyd, who, who came up from Wales to play with me at Wigan, he plays at Swinton now. John O'Donnell, um, he's a rugby union player, and Connor Farrell, Liam Farrell's brother. You know, he's also a professional rugby lad from Wigan. And, and Jamie Acton as well, he's been on, on the podcast. Those four have been have been pillars of, of strength for me. And then, uh, like I said, I opened up to John Duffy, my coach, and um, I wasn't keen on going to the rest of the lads about it, but he, he got them all on board and, and it's the best thing he could have done for me because all of the lads, all of the Lee lads, I just never experienced that amount of love before by a full team. The, I walked into the meeting room 
Yeah. And uh, I knew that lads were, and it was stupid of me really because like, they're not going to judge me negatively for what's happened, but people feel like, like you're going to get judged negatively. That's why they don't open up. But honestly, it was the best thing that ever happened, telling people and opening up because the, the love and, and support I got off everyone was, yeah. you know, couldn't ask for more. Such a, such a simple idea, but one of the hardest things imaginable, isn't it? To actually talk and open up about, about stuff yeah. that you, you're suffering or you're going through. Yeah. And I, and I mean, like, like we say, you know, you've got to get action off the back of talk, putting things in place. Off the back of talking to people, you know, it might have been one last saying, right, I can help you in your day by dropping this off for you or, or nipping here for you if, if you've got something to deal with, you know. They all knew I had to be, you know, at the solicitors dealing with what had happened. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, he, he, he left a mess of things financially. And, um, you know, we had to sell the house. And then uh, I'm, I'm still at my mum's now because uh, we sold the house and, you know, we were looking to get a new house. And because of what what's happened, that's all been delayed. So I think it's another case of you, you could, I could look at it like, oh, I've still not got my own place. It's all bad. But what I'm looking at is, um, you know, no, no one close to me um, has got this horrible disease at the minute, which is good. Yeah. Uh, I'm looking at, at the fact that people are there to help me and they have been and they've been massive pillars of support. And, you know, there's people who aren't lucky enough to, to have a home. So I'd rather be in my, with my mum for a few extra months and, and get a place, you know what I mean? So it, it's all first world problems, isn't it, mate? Exactly, I know, and I think that we were, we were talking. I had um, um, was doing a podcast yesterday with um, a jujitsu instructor down down in London, and we were talking about the the mindsets of people within this epidemic that we find ourselves in now. And I think it's going to give a lot of people time to 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 understand what's important to them and what yeah. are the other, like the other stuff like the the uh, superficial and the materialistic stuff isn't important. It's it's who you've got around you, it's your family, your friends. The, the, the that, that's it, mate. I, I've, I've been really guilty of it myself, you know, when I get this money, I'm going to buy this car, I'm going to get X, Y and Z. But um, was, we were talking about Francis Ngannou before, he was on Mike Tyson's podcast. Right. And he said, to, from what he grew up seeing in Africa, um, being homeless in France when he went there illegally, it was like heaven. So I just saw that and I thought like, Things have happened badly yeah. with me, but I thought, you know, I, I couldn't imagine living the way that some people lived. And, and uh, you know, if he can do that and, and come out on top and, and become, you know, uh, the force he is in the UFC, I can do this little bit to help people in this corner of the world. Definitely. And it, just to, to, to finish off, it comes back to stoicism, like we was on about before, and this, this perspective. Yeah, it? definitely, mate. Definitely, mate. It's got a, I mean, it underpins everything when you really think about it. So, yeah. yeah. Well, um, it's an amazing story, mate, and I can't imagine some of the, the emotions and the feelings you've 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 gone through. But um, thanks for coming on and sharing the story and being so honest about it. And I think a lot of people will 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 get stuff from it if they're suffering similar feelings and emotions and worries and concerns. Yeah, I appreciate you having me on, mate. Yeah. And, uh... Like I say, it's it's good to talk and get it out there. It makes me feel better just saying it, and hopefully, um, anyone's watching, you know, it can encourage you to get help and uh, you know, or get into something positive and productive.
Yeah, no worries, Tom. Thanks again, mate. Thanks for your time.